Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, this evening, and Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing in hearts and lives. We just ask that you would take this time that we have set aside for the study of your word, that you would teach us, that you would challenge us, Lord, that you would warn us and help us to use your word to protect us from the snares of the devil. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Ecclesiastes. And if you need an outline, uh, would like an outline, they're all gone? Okay. Uh, if you need one, uh, see us after church and we'll try to get you one, all right? But uh, chapter 10, uh, as we are moving through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, and again, we're not doing a uh, deep word for word, just phrase for phrase, but uh, going through uh, the book and uh, the, some, uh, the, the wisdom of the wisest man that ever lived is the book of Ecclesiastes. And he comes to this startling conclusion that everything is nothing. In fact, it is the ultimate nothing of nothingness. Uh, the vanity of vanities. And the book of Ecclesiastes was written to be a warning to you and I in many instances because Solomon did not have to end here. He chose to. He made decisions that negated so much of his life. The good that he did. And we, we come here to chapter 10 and, and he is has repeated several times that the greatest thing in life is to eat your food today, to rejoice with the wife of your youth, to enjoy today. You know why Solomon kept saying that? Because he didn't enjoy today. He had lost the privilege of enjoying today because he had wasted it on his great wisdom. He had elevated himself to where he was trying to be God. Read some of those passages. He said, I thought to set in order the things that were best for mankind. That's God's job. You know what? A lot of times we get reading our Bible and understanding just a little bit and we start looking at the world around us and we start pontificating like God. You know, that'll ruin you. Don't exercise yourself in things that are above. And we get here, and, and I've titled tonight's A Little Does a Lot. Uh, because he's talking about little things. And when we get to the end of the chapter, he, he's going to be talking about a king who's a child. Uh, th that is someone who's supposed to be important, isn't it? Of course... Uh, I think we're going to find some application to our society today, unfortunately, in New York City uh, and in this country. But we start here with verse 1 of chapter 10, and it says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Boy, I'll tell you what, it is amazing what commentators do with dead flies. Uh, how many of you have ever seen dead flies? I mean, all of us have. Uh, now, the ointment of the apothecary. 
Remember Mary anointing Jesus? They said this ointment could have been sold for 300 pence a year's, over a year's wages so that uh, others could be helped. And How would you like a few worthless flies to spoil $50,000 of ointment? That's what this verse is talking about. Nothing else. He's, he's just making a simple statement. If you, let, if you leave the lid off of that precious ointment and the flies get in there and they die, it's not going to smell good anymore. They're, they're going to spoil it. And spoiled ointment is actually less than worthless because what once smelled good now stinks. Uh, and so you've got to get it away. It's been putrefied. And it says, here's the example. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Now, who but Solomon could make that statement with the power that it is made in this passage? Do you think Solomon was doing what we all do is we, we tell on ourselves? Do we not? Uh, be careful when someone accuses you of something. If you're at work and one of your uh, fellow workers or your boss accuses you of stealing, you better mark it down as long as you've been honest. They're probably being dishonest. And they're going to accuse you of their crimes. Uh, I often remember that when somebody says that I'm foolish and stupid for believing the Bible. They're, they're telling on themselves. Amen? Uh, they think that because we've chosen God's wisdom over theirs that we're foolish. But, you know, God says that wisdom is justified over children. Amen? And Solomon is telling on himself here. He says you can take this expensive, rare incredibly wonderful ointment and a few little worthless flies can spoil the whole pot. I mean, how many of you would want a hundred dollar steak with a dead fly laying on top of it? I said, you know, I just... I'd cut around it, right? Mm, no, I think I'd want to pass. How about you? Uh... But it doesn't take a lot of folly to ruin a good reputation. It doesn't take a little, but a little foolishness. And you know, one of the te devil's greatest temptations, this isn't that big of a deal, my friend. Solomon's saying, hey, wait a minute, it is that big of a deal. You better watch out. Because just a little folly will ruin your reputation. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. Now again, I just love what the commentators do with that. That's anatomically impossible because everybody's heart's kind of in the middle. Wow, I didn't know that, did you? I actually read this in four or five different commentaries. I'm sitting here going, 
Man, those guys are intelligent. What is the right hand in the Bible? It is the place of honor. It is the place of blessing. Jesus said, you're going to see me seated at the right, seated, I'm sorry, at the right hand of the Father. Amen? Uh, there's, there's a wonderful thing here that says, the heart of the wise is going to bring honor and blessing in your life. It's going to lift you up. Now, People who live outside the, inside the United States aren't going to quite get this the first time, but in the world, outside the United States, the right hand is the clean hand, and the left hand is the dirty hand. People are looking at me like, Brother Hainline, isn't that the way it is in Kenya? If, if you were to reach out your left hand to another human being... It, it, is, it is like cussing them out. It is extremely offensive. It's the dirty hand. It's the hand you use to do things that you don't do with your right hand because they didn't have running water everywhere you went. Uh, and so in order to keep things at least a little bit sanitary, you use this hand for the clean things and this hand for the dirty things. You know, it's like the old pocket knife with two blades. Amen. You use the little blade for picking bunions in your toes and the big blade for peeling apples. Amen? So that's gross. But that's the way it's supposed to be. Amen? That's why my pocket knife only has one blade on it now. So I, I know it's clean, right? Uh, but the simple truth of the matter is a fool's hand is going to bring dishonor. A fool's heart is going to bring dishonor. It's going to bring dirty things. I mean, there's... I remember being in a uh, class and the, the professor was trying to illustrate how easily people are moved and manipulated by a thought or a word. And, and so, he told a story uh, that was not really risque or totally off-color, but... Anyway, in his story, uh, somebody ended up in a public place in their underwear. And student after student told similar funny stories because he asked for funny stories. And he said, I'm going to tell you the first one. And then he got done saying, see, you followed me in my direction. You know, people do those things. We are so easily influenced. Because the next verse, look what it says here. It says, Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him. And he saith to everyone that he is a fool. Do you get that? The fool thinks that he's hiding his foolishness. But he ought to just wear a sign. I am a fool. Because he tells everybody. I mean, every once in a while, uh, well, I'm not, uh, you know, you'll, you'll meet people that have problems. And they'll tell you their problems. 
And then as soon as they're done telling you, they'll go to the next person and tell them. And as soon as they're done telling them, they'll go to the next person and somebody will say, Pastor, do you know? Yeah, we know. It's okay. Love them anyway. Amen? But you can't hide foolishness. It's going to be announced. The wise man's heart is in his right hand. He's going to bring honor and blessings. The fool's heart's in his left hand. And by the way, you might as well just get a trumpet and play the tune. I am a fool. uh, Because everybody's going to know about it. Only God can fix the heart of a fool. Only God can. And so, we, we look here and... We come here to to verse 4, and he throws something a little different in here. He said, If the spirit of a ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. You know, it says, When the spirit of a ruler rises up against thee, that means you've offended the king, Solomon's day. But you know, sometimes at work, you ever been in a place where your boss just had it out for you and you couldn't figure out why? You know, sometimes there's not really a super big reason why this is happening. They are having a bad day and you're the first one on the list. Well, you know what? You can yield a little and pacify that problem. Or you can assert your rights and stand up for yourself and make a true mountain out of a molehill. That's what Solomon's saying here. You know, as a king, he didn't do everything right. I mean, he ended up in a pretty bad situation here. But when the king rises up against you, when when you are dealing with superior People, it says, you know what? A little yielding on your part, a little pacification. Because there's not a one of us that don't do something wrong sometime can solve a great problem. But if you're going to assert yourself and assert your rights, guess what? Uh, You may just be announcing to everyone what you are like the guy in the verse before. Uh, There is a connection there. And he's saying... Don't, you know, a little pacification can solve a big problem. A little yielding on your part can really keep things from getting bad. Just like a little fly can spoil a year's salary worth of ointment. Uh, A little folly can ruin an entire life reputation which Solomon had happening to him right as that place. And so, we, we see here in the beginning of this chapter as he's taking these things, it, it doesn't take a lot to get a lot done. Sometimes a little accomplishes an awful lot. And then we come here to verse 5, and he talks about an evil under the sun. And of course, he uses this phrase, under the sun, repeatedly here. 
and talks about the things that he has seen and he has heard. And, you know, again, we get all caught up in what we see and what we understand. And you're going to get depressed, just like Solomon was when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he gives us here, he says this, There is an evil which I've seen under the sun as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. He's saying this evil comes from the king. This evil comes from the spirit of this king who rises up against somebody. Maybe he's totally wrong. But he does it. And, you know, that verse we did uh, just a minute ago about pacifying, it doesn't say that the king might not be wrong in rising up against you. But you still do well not to try to fight the king, is what he's trying to say here. But this evil comes from the ruler. Here's the evil that comes from the ruler. Exalting folly. Exalting that which is worthless. That which has no value. And demeaning. Notice the, the, the thing he compares it with. Folly is set in great dignity and the rich sit in low place. You know, he doesn't say the honored sit in low place or the highly esteemed or, or the wise sit in a low place. He says the rich. And so he's making a comparison here. He's talking about a king that honors folly, which is foolishness. The, the producer of vanity is folly, right? The producer of nothingness. And he takes that which produces something and demeans it and despises it. Does that sound like modern history? Where... We are told that the ultimate patriotism is to pay taxes and that if you are doing well and you are producing and you are uh, 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 making yourself rich as well as paying your employees and things, that's evil. That's going on today in the United States. The Bible says that's an evil that proceeds from the ruler. He goes on, he gives another example. He said, I've seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. One commentator said, this proves that the book of Ecclesiastes couldn't have been written by Solomon because the importation of horses was a new thing under Solomon. Uh, excuse me? That's not true at all. It's Solomon took over the horse trade. The Hittites had had horses. Read the book of Judges. I mean, uh, they weren't having people pull the chariots, all right? Uh, they didn't have donkeys pulling the chariots in the battles. And uh, the Hittite Empire was actually in, in its declining days at this time. Uh, not ascending in all of these different things that are out there. But Solomon's just making a statement here. He said, I've seen the servants 
where the kings ought to, where the princes ought to be. And he said, I've seen the princes where the servants ought to be. You know, when we see normal things turned upside down, we know something. We're in trouble. Society is in danger. And that's when big things are made little and little things are made big. Uh, it's, it's what's happening. And we, we need to watch. We need to take warning from this. Uh, I always, sorry my mind just runs in certain directions, but whenever I see things reversed, I, I think of old Cornwallis at Yorktown. Uh, here he was, the proud English general who ha- was in command of one of the most powerful armies on the earth. The only problem was he only had a little part of it there. And he couldn't connect to the Navy because the French ships had kept him out. And, and uh, actually, he was outnumbered by the ragtag rebels in the French, and he had to surrender. And he called his band and he said, play, the world is turned upside down. And uh, the song says, when mice chase cats into little holes, you'll know the world is turned upside down. Well, Solomon was given his version of it in his day. When the servants ride on horses and the princes are walking like servants, the world is turned upside down. It's not the way it ought to be. Why, why does that happen? Because folly is set in dignity. And because that which it produces and which helps and is a blessing is despised. You see, we, we don't need modern politicians to do wrong. Solomon was doing it 900 years before Jesus was born. And guess what? Every human government has done it before they collapse. And Solomon's giving us warning here. It may seem like a little thing to put folly in a place of dignity, but it's going to undermine society as a whole. It's going to destroy it. And he said, I, he, this is an evil. But where does this come from? It comes from leadership. It's not from the bottom up. It's from the top down. And Solomon is talking about himself. And then he goes on and he, and he moves into this idea of, of labor and things in the next few verses here. Uh, a little bit of work can bring a whole lot of danger. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. Whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Whoso removeth stone shall be hurt therewith. And he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. If the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. And so, again, we have this little section here and we're just dividing the chapter up as we move through it. And uh, Solomon's saying, hey, you dig a pit, you can fall therein. Now, what was the purpose of digging a pit? Uh, most people say, well, uh, you dig a pit so you can entrap animals and, and all of that. But there's lots of reasons. I remember uh, at Cleveland Baptist, we were putting up the school building there. And uh, fortunately, I wasn't a part of this. Uh, but they were trying to dig uh, the sewer. 
They had to go 26 feet straight down so that they could get low enough to run into the sewer. And uh, they were, had the big shovel out there digging and uh, Roger Hoffman, who's helped us with the woodwork in our auditorium, was down in the hole and he said, you know, I don't like this. Get me out of here quick. And no sooner had his feet touched the ground than the whole thing just went mud 12, 15 feet deep in that hole. You know what? They said, no more digging until we get the proper equipment. It's a big steel wedge. It's like 20 feet long and 15 feet high. And as you dig, you drop this thing down in there and it holds the walls of the ditch in place until you lay the pipe. And then you pull it out and if the wall caves, it just covers up your pipe. That's all. Uh, Hey, it's dangerous digging holes. Guess what? How many of you have ever tried to break a hedge? Now, you have to remember, some people have said, well, this is talking about removing the landmarks, the hedge divided the property. But there could be a good reason to remove a hedge. But if you're going to take something that's been there for 50 years and break it down, you're going to disturb the things that are living in it. So you better be careful. It doesn't necessarily mean you're doing something wrong. How many of you have ever had to pick up stones? How many pinched your fingers while you were doing it? Case in point. Let's move on. Uh, That's what Solomon's saying here. Now, we don't do this much around New York City. How many of you have ever had to chop wood? Okay, if the axe isn't sharp, guess what you're not getting done? I mean, you can do a whole lot of chopping with a dull axe and still never get anywhere. Uh, what, while we're doing the woodwork in here, every once in a while, I'll tell Stephen, get up all the blades, they're all dull. And we've got to take them down and get them sharpened because if you try to cut oak with a dull blade, all you do is burn wood. And it stinks and it looks bad and it doesn't cut clean. You've got to have a sharp blade. He says, wisdom is profitable to direct. You know what? Sometimes it is worth the danger that you're facing to get the job done. Amen? But a lot of times, it isn't. So, you need a little wisdom in here to direct this thing, to give you the direction that God wants you to do. It's... it's thinking about what you do before you get started. Amen? And Solomon is just giving us some simple direction here so that we don't end up where he did, saying, vanity is vanity, all is vanity, thus saith the preacher. And so we move on to the next little section here. And he's talking about more small things that can bring great danger. He says, surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. Now, how many of you have met a babbler? How many of you know what a babbler is? It's like a water fountain with the handle stuck on. The only thing is he's not pouring out water, it's words. I mean, they're just coming. Now, do we... Um, other than the realm of politics, do we esteem babblers? 
No, we don't. I mean, the babblers are a little thing. They're not esteemed well in society. We don't uh, uh, want to put up with uh, babblers and people who just talk incessantly about nothing and say nothing about nothing. I mean, a babbler is a small thing, a despised thing. And yet, he says, just like the poisonous snake, if you don't prepare and protect yourself... That's what the word enchantment, it's not talking about casting the voodoo on the snake. It's talking about the guys that play the little flute and the poisonous cobra comes up out of the uh, basket. And by the way, if you ever see that, uh, most of the time the fangs have been removed already. It's not as dangerous, but Solomon's day, you know, people took chances like that. He said, if you don't take care, if you don't protect yourself from the poisonous snake... He said, the babbler is going to be just as dangerous. It's a little thing. You don't think of a babbler as causing problems. He says, just like the snake will bite, so will the babbler. He says here, look at the next one. Uh, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. But the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. I remember one time passing out tracks. I think it was up at the Dipmars train station. And uh, gave, went to give a track to a very tall, somewhat distinguished looking man. And he looked at me and he said, that's a bunch of blank. Excuse me. He says, I'm a preacher. I, I've been to seminary and that's a bunch of blank. And started cursing and things. And I said, you know something? You haven't been to seminary. You've been to cemetery. Mm-hmm. He didn't get it. But before the conversation was all done, he said, that's a bunch of blank and I'm a bunch of blank. And I said, you know what, I think I'd agree with that and just walked right on off. You know, the, the fool's mouth will swallow him up. I met a guy on Broadway just two weeks ago. He was wanting me to sign a paper for legalization of marijuana. And I said, why would I want to do something stupid like that? And he said, well, sometimes people do stupid things. I said, case in point, and walked off. And he was going, no, no, case in point to you. I said, you already been got, guy. Just admit you lost. Listen to the fool's. They'll swallow themselves up. The, you know, Solomon wasn't kidding here. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talks is mischievous madness. You know, we have a tendency to discount the words of fools as simply foolishness, but Solomon is saying, wait a minute, he starts out foolish, but the end is going to be mischievous madness. That is hurtful insanity. That's why in Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5, it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be also like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. You lose when you talk to fools. It doesn't matter if you answer him, you lose. If you don't answer him, you lose. He said, stay away from the words of fools. Don't contemn it as nothing. 
Because it can come back and destroy you as mischievous madness. I'll, I'll tell you what, I want to stay away from mischievous madness. How about you? Uh, and that's why we're just putting this in the context here. And we come here to the next one. It says the labor, I'm sorry, a fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? You know, we'll, some of you uh, may remember this, but back in the 70s, there were preachers that were preaching the hammer and sickle's going to fly over to White House and we're going to do this and all of that. Don't try to be a prophet. God's standard of prophecy was what? 100%. By the way, don't you love what God has done with the global warming prophets? Isn't that hilarious? I still laugh. A few years ago, they were having a global warming conference. I think it was March or April in Washington, D.C. It snowed. Oh, I love God's sense of humor. And the ship, they got frozen in the ice because they were investigating the fact that the ice wasn't supposed to be there because of global warming. I just love God's sense of humor. But let me, let me tell you something. You can't answer the fool. They're, they're going to be, nobody knows what's going to happen and let's not get into discussions with foolish people about things that we just don't know about. That's what he's, he's warning us here. And we get to the last one. It says, The labor of, foolish, of the foolish wearieth every one of them because he knoweth not how to go to the city. You know what? The works of the foolish man have no purpose to them. Uh, that was an interesting phrase. Every, every commentary I read says, Nobody knows what that means, uh, uh, that he knoweth not how to go into the city. It, it must have been some uh, uh, idiomatic speech that meant he couldn't find his way. Well, wait a minute. We're talking about labor here. When you produce something, where do you take it to sell it? Well, you, of course, you go out into the country where nobody lives, Right? No, you take it to the city. The works of the foolish man weary him because he doesn't know how to produce anything that anybody's going to buy. There's no purpose in his work. And you know what? How many people spend their entire life about things with no purpose? I mean, how about uh, you guys from the northwest, uh, from the, yeah, the northwest there, all of the studies that were done on the spotted owl proving that they could only live in old growth forest, which begs the question, what did they do before the old growth forest became an old growth forest? And my favorite one is the spotted owl nest that they found in the old growth Kmart sign. <laughs> you see... The labor of the foolish just wears you out. It gets nothing done. You better watch out what you're doing. Amen? That it doesn't qualify as the labor of the foolish. And we come here to these last few verses where I'm trying to finish the whole chapter. Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child and thy princes eat in the morning. A childish king is going to bring woe. You say, what is it with the princes eating in the morning? 
Well, uh, let's uh, go down to the uh, uh, verse 19. A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry. You know what? The whole idea here is, in verse 17, we'll get to it in a minute, is when the princes of the land only exercise authority to serve themselves. Some of you used to live in a country that had corrupt police and politicians. You know what? The only thing that they were in there is to serve themselves. As bad as it is in the United States, much complaining as we'd like to do, I'll tell you what, I still rejoice in the fact that the rule of law is still esteemed in most circles. Uh, you go to some countries, and the, the drug pins and the drug lords are right there, and guess who's right beside them? The police officers. As long as they're getting paid, they're going to help the drug lords. And it, it's a scary and terrifying thing when the princes rule to please himself. I mean, you study the history of New York City. There was a time when uh, things were really bad and corrupt with the building department people and some police officers and fire department. Uh, I met one of those fire department guys. Yeah, I said, what are you doing here, fire department, in the old building record room? He said, well, and he told me the story of how uh, there were so many corrupt things in the inspections that they set the record room on fire and uh, tried to destroy all the records that would incriminate him. And he was one of the guys that got caught. Of course, he wasn't guilty. It was all the rest of the guys he was working with that were guilty. And so he was not allowed to be a fireman anymore. He's stuck in the old record room. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the Bible says that it is woe when your king is a child. And that doesn't talk about his age. It talks about his heart. And when the princes are there just to serve themselves. Verse 17, Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. You know, do you eat to live or do you live to eat? Amen? Uh, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about being controlled. He said, uh, woe unto the land that a child is in control of and the princes are only there to serve themselves. By much slothfulness, the building decayeth and through the idleness of hands, the house droppeth through. Again, we... Hey, you need a break once in a while, right? But what was the problem with Sodom? It was lots of bread and idleness, wasn't it? You know, we need to be busy about the Lord's work. It doesn't take much idleness to lose things in a church. In your own spiritual life. How many of you wonder why it's so much work to keep up with your daily Bible reading schedule? Uh, it's because idleness destroys things, and it's hard. Our body likes to rest. I mean, the lion disproves evolution. Survival of the fittest, 
the most efficient thing. Do you know what lions do with 90% of their time? Sleep. Uh, that disproves evolution altogether. Because the lion should be spending 99% of his time producing things. But a lion doesn't have to. He's not made that way. He sleeps. He rests. And let me tell you, uh, that's one of the reasons why there aren't many lions left. Because the hunters went out and got them. And the Bible tells us here that uh, a feast is made for laughter. If, you, if laughter is what you're after, have a feast. Wine maketh merry. And again, that's not talking about alcohol and being happy because you're drunk. Uh, what it's simply talking about is the blessings. People did not have 50 varieties of drinks at the local deli. And then 45 different coffees you can get at the coffee shop. Uh, we live in a land that is unbelievable. But it, it's just talking about how would you like to drink water all day, every day? Somebody said, oh, that'd be so good. Yeah, I want to see in your refrigerator if that's all you drink. Uh, we like other things on occasion. And that's all it's talking about here. It says, but money answereth all things. You got a problem? Guess what? Money will answer it, won't it? But we get here to this last verse. And he says, a little curse go a long way. It says, curse not the king, no, not in thy thought. And curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. You know what? It, it's easy for us to look at our government and say bad things about them. We better be careful. I'm talking to all of us here. Uh, and again, that rich, we go back to the rich that was low esteemed. You know what? If it weren't for someone who started the business, would you have a job? Right? If you work for a company. Oh, I work for the government. Oh, well, uh, that's not what we're talking about here. But, I mean, if you work a regular job, if you, if you work for a company, somebody started that company. And you got a job because somebody founded that company and took the risk and did the things that make that company profitable enough to pay your salary. Don't sit there and curse the boss. Don't curse the king. Because... If they heard everything you said, you might get in trouble. I mean, how many people have lost their jobs because of Facebook? <laughs> or somebody tweeted something they tweeted about, or, or however that works. Do you tweet a twit or twit a tweet? I, I'm, I don't know. Uh, you can tell that I really am into all this new technology. I mean, uh, I don't even like text messages. I really don't. If you want to talk to me, call me. Um, and if it's not worth a phone call, don't tell me. Amen? But um, the truth of the matter here, Solomon is just 
taking a bunch of little things and he's putting them somewhat random order. But there's an awful lot of warning here. Exhortation for us. Things to be careful. Because it doesn't take a whole lot of wrong to mess up a lot of life. And so let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your love to us. We thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we thank You that even in spite of the negative overtones and the depressing uh, thought process that's all through the book of Ecclesiastes, that there are things that we can see and warnings that we can take and protections that You have for us here. And Lord, we ask that You would give us the wisdom to direct that we may know when the danger that is connected to the work is worth the effort and know when to just say no. Lord, that we would know how to hold our tongues and not proclaim our foolishness as the fools do. Lord, that we would be careful in our service for Thee that we may bring honor and glory to Thy name. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed. If you'd like to come, the altar's open. Just take...